0: As you're looking at the e-commerce market, you see that for two years, e-commerce growth has leapfrogged maybe two years, and now growth is slowing down for e-commerce. And it's the reasons why people still prefer to shop in-store versus online. Like those reasons haven't been addressed until now.
1: Welcome to another episode of Rise of the Next. On today's episode, we have Donnie Ouyang, who's the CEO and founder of Black On the episode, we discuss e commerce trends as well as how Black is bringing the try now before you buy experience to online shopping and how this can help merchants minimize returns and increase average order sizes. Donnie also runs us through how his AI tech is able to facilitate consumers combining this experience without credit card holds. I do hope you enjoyed today's discussion. Donnie, thank you for coming on Rise of the Next.
0: Absolutely. Excited to be here. It's
1: wonderful to have you on. Donnie, I'd like to start off by asking you to tell us about your background. would love to know how you come up with the idea for Black Card and what does the company do?
0: Sure. Um, so I I am the founder and CEO of Card, where we make try-before-you-buy software for e-commerce brands. So what that means is we'll integrate into e-commerce stores and enable customers to essentially pick out items, get them shipped to try at home for free and only pay for what they decide to keep. Um, so for me, I, I started kind of way back in high school when I was maybe 11 or 12. When we first got access to the internet, this was back in the dial-up days uh, with Net Zero and America Narrow, uh, America Online CDs that you get in the mail.
1: I remember the dial-up days. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> very, very slow. Uh, but good times.
1: But were you working on Black Card then? Or was that the start of your entrepreneurial journey?
0: That's the start of my entrepreneurial journey. So this was way back. This was maybe 2005, 2004 or so. And this was kind of me just messing around, building random websites for fun. So like whatever caught my interest, gaming forums, webmaster tools, things of that sort. And just try to make money from Google AdSense and banner ads, essentially. And as start as things started to get bigger and bigger, I started buying and selling websites and started making some serious cash, at least for a high school kid at that time. Mm-hmm. And then for me, when I when I went into university, that's when I got my first taste at a proper startup, at a proper startup life. I, I founded a, a startup called Reku, which was this online on-demand tutoring company. We, we managed to raise a little bit of funding, was able to build out a team and build this live interactive whiteboard that people were able to use and connect online to get Tutoring, that was the idea. Um, so I worked on that for about five years or so, four or five years, which which brings me to Blackheart. This is now 2017. That's when I came up with the idea for Blackheart and um, started working on that part-time at first and then eventually full-time.
1: And how'd you come up with the idea?
0: The goal for Black Card initially was just to create the best possible online shopping experience, just because for me, I'm I'm not a avid shopper. And I had this kind of crappy experience where I, I bought a pair of black shoes from this Canadian retailer that ended up looking nothing like it did online. It, it kind of hurt my feet. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah. And I, I forgot to return it. So it's ultimately my fault, but I had a angry experience <laughs> and coming out of that I was trying to create the best possible experience for for online shopping. So the, the initial idea was to build this consumer-facing app, consumer-facing experience. We built a Chrome extension that we got people to install and they'd be able to try before you buy from say, like 50 different brands. And it was arbitrage. So I would go out and buy a whole bunch of discounted gift cards in bulk um, from eBay or raise.com or any of these marketplaces and essentially pay on behalf of the customer. So if they kept something, we made our 15% or 20%, whatever discount we got. That was the MVP.
1: And Donnie, you mentioned got people to install. Who are you referring to when you say people?
0: It was my friends at the beginning, and then it would be (laughs) whoever shopped online. This was mostly apparel. So anyone and anyone that I can convince to to give it a try and see if they can go through the whole try before you buy experience.
1: So are we talking consumers or SMEs and merchants?
0: At the beginning, this was consumers, purely okay. consumers.
1: And then did you eventually transition to become a B2B company or, or are you B2C as well as B2B?
0: No, we're now completely B2B. The Chrome extension did not work. A lot of stuff didn't work. We tried many many different things trying to find product market fit but nothing ultimately came about and the reason was customer acquisition cost was just too high to support mm. margins um, but what we realized was if we tied um trying a specific product with a specific brand to our consumer ads and made the call to action try before you buy the customer acquisition cost dropped by half so at that point it was pretty clear that maybe the B2B side had some legs. And that's that's why we decided to pivot and apply to 500 and build it out, see if it works.
1: And when you pivoted, what were the specific challenges that you decided to address in retail?
0: For retail in general, even today, as you're looking at the e-commerce market, you see that for two years, e-commerce growth has leapfrogged maybe two years, and now growth is slowing down for e-commerce. And it's The reasons why people still prefer to shop in-store versus online, like those reasons haven't been addressed until now. It's being able to touch, feel, and try products before you make a purchase decision. And that, that has been this experience gap that is highly correlated to why E-commerce conversions is 3% versus insert conversions is like 24%. There's just, there's a lot of, um, even with the conveniences of online shopping, there's a lot lacking.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So we want to solve that problem for merchants.
1: Got that. Now, online shopping has become more prevalent during the pandemic, but are there still holdouts? And who are they?
0: Absolutely. There's, there's definitely holdouts. I don't actually think that brick-and-mortar shopping is going to go anywhere like any it's not going to go away Mm -hmm. even a couple months ago you see over the news that H&M had closed their fitting rooms but people were buying stuff from H&M taking it to Zara next door (laughs) to try it on and then coming back and uh, returning it
1: and actually as of this week as of the time of recording the episode Meta opened a brick-and-mortar store to promote the metaverse (laughs) (laughs) Over in California.
0: Yeah, it's it's definitely all about the experience. You, you do need to try products before you make a purchase decision. That's why Apple stores have their devices laid out for you to try. It's not behind glass cases. If you walk into a Nike store, you're going to put on those shoes before you kind of pull out your credit card and pay for it. It's just part of the success formula of retail in general.
1: Now, is it a part of demographics or does the industry depend on them?
0: I think at least from our data, it's across the board. It's not just millennials. We definitely have a lot more millennials that go through the whole tribe before you buy experience and they come back and they love it. Mm -hmm. And their NPS scores are very high, but it's, we're seeing this across the board. Whoever wants to shop, um, particularly if they shop online, they they do want to verify, be intentional with how they spend the money, verify that this product is, it it fits with their lifestyle, fits with their body or their, everything else that they're going to, purchase
1: now how do you convince merchants to ship goods to consumers without a credit card hold
0: we do this as part of our core technology our core technology is our fraud ai mm-hmm. which scores the risk of every single order that goes through and that's one of the mm-hmm. main value propositions of black card is we'll take on the risk so every time someone places a try before you buy order they don't the customer doesn't have to pay up front but in the background we're running through thousands of data points to, to score the risk of that order and if a customer ends up keeping something and not paying for it for whatever reason, then Blackheart kind of guarantees that order and will pay on behalf of the customer.
1: But if let's say a customer's scoring is risky, would you still then as a company process their order knowing that?
0: They will be asked to either go through additional verification steps or they will be asked to pay up front just like a normal order.
1: Now, have you been able to help merchants reduce returns because of your try before you buy software?
0: Typically for customers, from what we see, once they make a keep decision, they don't tend to change their minds. Um, So if they, try something and they discover that this is something that they want to keep even though the decision is within a five-day window. Mm-hmm. For example, they tend to keep it. For us, the main value proposition for merchants is we will increase your average order value. So people will try more items and they will ultimately return more items. But the net ALV, the ones that they ultimately end up keeping on a per order level is actually quite significantly higher than a uh, a typical e-commerce order.
1: Now, you mentioned specifically orders that consumers decide to keep. What about orders that they decide to not keep? Wouldn't that classify as a return as well?
0: This would. It would go through the same exact process as a regular return. So, for example, if someone orders three shirts and they decide to keep two out of the three shirts, the third shirt that doesn't get kept, it would get sent back to the warehouse of the retailer to get processed. And some, you know, to one of the mer- more recent merchants that we've launched, Paca Apparel, they do something interesting. So they, they want to make sure that it's entirely carbon neutral. Everything that goes back and forth is covered. Um, so what they'll do is we partner with another 500 startups company, EcoCart, mm-hmm. to be able to, to process that and make sure that every order is carbon neutral.
1: Donnie, what are some of the main challenges you faced?
0: I think at the very beginning, just trying to find product market fit. I made a lot of mistakes in my last startup in Reku where we decided on a decision. I thought I was the next Mark Zuckerberg or the next Elon Musk and just (laughs) thought that, okay, the vision is going to come through. Uh, We're just going to go, go, go until it doesn't work. But pre-product market fit, it's all about the macro experiments. And we've had a lot of challenges going from this Chrome extension to this web proxy to like style boxes. We we tried everything under the sun to see what works. Mm -hmm. Until ultimately something did click that we can double down on. Um, so it, it has been a struggle up until that point.
1: Now, Black Card is based in Canada, but where are most of your customers located?
0: Most of our customers today are in the US. Um, there's a little bit of a cluster in Australia, uh, UK, and a, a couple in Canada, but I'd say probably 70% are in the US.
1: And how do you manage to acquire the non US customers?
0: For our business, a large portion of our New customers, new merchants, how they discover us is through the widget, essentially. So when we integrate with a e-commerce brand, there's the try before you buy button on their product pages and below that mm-hmm. it says Powered by Black Cart. We're not actively advertising in Australia. So once we launch with one Australian merchant, it kind of has a, a little bit of a network effect there that attracts others.
1: And just kind of taking a holistic view, what are some of the trends that you're observing in e-commerce?
0: I think one thing that's particularly noticeable is that retailers and online e-commerce omni-channel merchants, they're more and more receptive to innovation today. A lot, a lot more compared to before. It's almost as if e-commerce has been um, maybe behind banking as at least kind of open to innovation Mm -hmm. for two decades. And then the pandemic hit and everyone is investing in e-commerce. So when we're talking to merchants today, there's more and more openness Mm -hmm. to be able to kind of consider new ideas, consider how this would fit within their stack for for their their future. And we we continue to see that today. Merchants are investing in the next five years, whereas before it was just trying to keep the lights on.
1: Got that. Donnie, thank you very much for all the insights. I would say thank you for your time as well. It was a pleasure to have you on the show.
0: Thank you. It's great to speak to you. Likewise.
1: Likewise. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Make sure you subscribe on wherever you're listening to this so you can get notified as soon as new episodes are released. You can listen to this episode on all major podcast streaming platforms like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and Google Podcasts, as well as our website, The Global VC, which you can access at 500.co. Until then, you can also stay up to date with 500 Global by following us on LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all with a handle at 500global. That's all from me today. I'll catch you all on a future episode of Rise of the Next by 500 Global. This podcast is intended solely for general informational or educational purposes only. Under no circumstances should any content provided as part of or any such programs, services, or events be construed as investment, legal, tax, or accounting advice by 500 Startups Management Company, LLC, or any of its affiliates, 500 Global. Python Global makes no representation as to the accuracy or information in this podcast. And while reasonable steps have been taken to ensure that the information herein is accurate and up-to-date, no liability can be accepted for any such error or omissions, and 500 Global accepts no responsibility for any loss which may arise from reliance on the information in this podcast. Under no circumstances should any information or content in this podcast be considered as an offer to sell or solicitation of interest to purchase any securities advised by 500 Global or any of its affiliates. Or representatives. Further, no content or information in this podcast is intended as an offer to provide any investment advisory service with regard to securities by 500 Global. Under no circumstances should anything herein be construed as fund marketing materials by prospective investors considering an investment into any 500 Global investment fund. Under no circumstances should any statistics, quotations, or other content be interpreted as testimonials or endorsement of the investment performance of any 500 Global Fund by a prospective investor considering an investment into any 500 Global Fund. This podcast may contain forward-looking statements which involve risks and uncertainties, and actual results may differ materially from any expectations, projections, or predictions made or implied in such forward-looking statements. This podcast includes content delivered by an independent third party that is not related to or controlled by 500 Global. All views and opinions represented in the podcast by such third party are their own views and opinions and do not represent those of 500 Global. 500 Global makes no representations as to or guarantees of specific outcomes from attending or relying on the contents of the podcast.